0: Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's word together.
1: Thanks, you guys. Well, good morning. Happy uh, New Year, end of the year, kind of wherever you find your place in that continuum, whatever it is for you. Welcome, glad you're here. Thank you for staying in town, all those things, right? Appreciate it. Hey, um, this is the time of year that uh, people used to, at least, make New Year's resolutions, right? You don't hear t- as much about new, res- uh, new Year's resolutions as we used to because, I think primarily because we're really lousy at them. And uh, I, I think to some, the national average on keeping New Year's resolutions is, is somewhere around, they're all broken by January 10th. and. Uh, so there's a tendency now that e- either we just don't talk about them anymore, people don't make them anymore. But no matter where it, where you are in that, if you uh, make New Year's resolutions or, or not, th- there's there's probably something in you that reflects a little bit uh, on the end of the year and and what you want 2019 to look like. And and so maybe you, maybe you don't call them resolutions anymore because you know there's just you know so many times in your life that you can make them and then break them and then you kind of stop calling them that. But but you do some reflecting and you you think about what you want to do different next year, you know, maybe you want to get a different job or you want to stop swearing, you know, you you want to lose weight or you want something and there's a tendency for for resolutions to be about us, right? Uh, I want to I want to lose weight or I want to read more books or I I want to do something and, and improve myself or or I want to move to another place or whatever it is and and there's a tendency for new year's resolutions to be about us rather than than something bigger and and what we Want to talk about this morning is that what if God had a resolution for us? What if God said, "Look, I, I know what you're thinking, but I've got something bigger than you can imagine. I, I've got some ideas for you that that aren't about you, but they're about me. They're about what I see, what I want in the world." And and so we're going to look at that this morning. And as I was preparing for it, I I read this little article. Uh, it was a special report on this American Life, and it f- followed the lives of some people. And and in fact, the um, the host of this, Ira Glass, uh, got 100 adults. He had 100 adults and he asked them if they were living their plan A life or their plan B life. And out of those 100 adults, 99 of the 100 said that they were living their plan B life. It wasn't their plan A. There was one person out of 100 living plan A and she was 23. (laughs) And uh, that somewhere along the way, uh, we all find ourselves, whether you call it plan A or plan B, we, we all find ourselves living a different life than maybe we thought we were going to live. Uh, maybe it's not what we'd planned, but it's something different. And, and, in, and in some ways, you, you might think it's better. You might think it's worse. You might think it's not what I expected. It's not what I intended. I'm living my plan B life. But we find ourselves in those situations. And, and as I reflect on that, I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about the Jews in Jerusalem in the sixth century, BC, they were clearly living a plan B life. Here's the context. We're going to look at Jeremiah 29 this morning, but here's the context. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians are the superpower of the day. Uh, They were famous for coming in and conquering cities, conquering countries, and they were brutal about it. The Babylonians didn't just come in and occupy your country, but they came to destroy your country. Uh, They were were brutal in how they treated people, uh, as we'll see as we go through this passage a little bit. Uh, um, But they would come in, and not only would they take over your country, not only would uh, would they execute people, but they would also take people into exile. So if you're, um, uh, if you're educated, if you're wealthy, if you're somebody important, then they would, the, the Babylonians would c- remove you, say from Jerusalem, and they would take you to Babylon and then you had really two options. Your options were this, that you would either assimilate or you would separate. And, and so if you were exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon, you had those two options. And, and the, this, the assimilate option was this, that you would move into Babylon and you would become a Babylonian. You would learn the language, you'd learn the culture, uh, you'd get a job, you would want to not stand out. You would, in, in essence, become a Babylonian. You would act like them, talk like them, be like them. You would give up all your heritage, give up everything else because you didn't want to stand out you wanted to fit in you wanted to get accepted you wanted to belong there and so that's that's what they would they would do the other side are the people who want to separate and they would say that let's get our little group and and let's separate and let's keep our traditions and let's keep our values and let's keep everything we know our our language everything in our culture and let's separate from those bad guys and let's live our own lives right here and and that's a tendency today right that we have we have those two tendencies today we Either want to assimilate, uh, we assimilate to such a point that nobody can tell us from anybody else that that we sort of walk and talk and act like everybody else. We don't say anything that's that's controversial. We don't say anything that's different. But we just want to blend in. We just want to get along. Or we separate and we get into our little group and and we live with them and we only talk to them and we only hang out with them and we only live with them and and so we've we've separated ourselves. And the problem in in the, in Christian for Christians is that we keep separating, that it's not enough just to get Christians and separate, but then Christians separate, and we separate into smaller and smaller groups until we're so isolated and so alone, and that's kind of how uh, we, we, we live our lives, and so that was the challenge that the Jews had going to Babylon, that they could either assimilate or they had to separate, uh, and then if we look at the passage, it could even get worse, because uh, let's, let's just read the first nine verses. It says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent to Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, I just wanna stop there just for a quick second because there's two things. The first thing is that what we re- read right away is that this is a letter from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the favor- uh, famous prophets in the Old Testament. He was a prophet from a very early age. Now the thing about prophets is that they spoke for God and they, had, they could have a real prominent place in, in Jewish culture, uh, but the challenge of a prophet was you had to be right every time or you were a false prophet, right? And, and it was really bad for business if you were a false prophet. Nobody believed you. Nobody trusts you. Uh, nobody would follow you, and all of those things. Jeremiah was one of the most famous prophets that he he spoke for God. But he was also really honest, and was kind of considered a doom and gloom prophet, and and uh, and so he had actually had the nickname the weeping prophet. That he would come in and he would speak for God, and he would challenge the people. But often he did it with weeping and sadness because he knew that the people of God had rebelled, that they had strayed from God, that they had begun to, began to worship other idols and other gods, and they had gone far away from what God intended, and he would come in and deliver the message that it's time to turn back to God. So that's Jeremiah. He's writing this letter from Jerusalem to those who have been exiled in Babylon, and he says, first of all, to the surviving elders of the exiles. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you that not everybody made it, that some were probably executed along the way, but others just weren't strong enough or healthy enough to make the trip from Jerusalem to Babylon and they died along the way. So he says this letter is addressed, this letter is for the the surviving elders and others who have been exiled by Nebuchadnezzar the king to Babylon. Now this is after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem. So officials uh, of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. They were all exiled to, to Babylon. The idea is if we exiled them, if we moved them from Jerusalem uh, to Babylon, uh, then, then it's less likely that there was gonna be a rebellion in Jerusalem that the leaders uh, the craftsmen all of those key people have been moved from jerusalem uh, to babylon and now in jerusalem they're so weakened uh, they, they've lost so many skilled people, so many of their leaders, so much of their wealth and their educated people that there's it's less likely that there's going to be a rebellion if you get those people out of there. So uh, uh, so all of these people are taken. This letter is sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, of Gamaria, the son of Hilkiah, uh, who, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and it said, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare and you will find your welfare. For this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, uh, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie and uh It is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So here's this letter that Jeremiah sends. And one of the things that you're living in exile, it's clearly a plan B life that you started out in Jerusalem. The Babylonians came in, they conquered Jerusalem. They took people out. So if you're in Jerusalem, you're living in this weakened state. Uh, You're an occupied city in an occupied country. If you're in Babylon, you're in a Foreign country that speaks a different language, that has a different culture. Uh, You're called, you're in that. uh, You're living as a slave. You're living uh, as an exile in a different place. Uh, And clearly, it would feel like plan B. And you might be feeling like, where is God? Did God abandon us? Uh, Has God left us? Or has God just forgotten about us? Or is God not powerful enough to take care of this? uh, has Has He lost His power and He's no longer in control of the of the world and and so you could be having any of those emotions and so jeremiah is writing saying no i want you to pay attention to this because god is up to something that you haven't thought of god is up to something that bigger than you can imagine and it begins with this that uh, that uh, jeremiah says right away in verse 4 thus says the lord of hosts i'm speaking for god Uh, the God of Israel to all the exiles I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now that language is really interesting because here's what God says to his people. You think that you're in exile. You think that, that that the Babylonians have conquered Jerusalem and have taken all of you away and now you're living in Babylon. But what if, what if it's not about you? What if it's about something else? What if I've sent you? what if you've been called from Jerusalem to Babylon? What if I've done this? What if I've said, I need a bunch of you in Babylon. I've got a purpose for you. I've got a place for you, and I'm going to send you there, and there's a reason behind it, and I want you to trust me because God said here, I've sent you to this place. What What if we began to flip how we think? And rather than thinking about, I hate my job, I hate my life, I hate this, I hate that, I don't deserve this, where's God when things are hard? All of those kinds of things. What if we began to think, God God has called me to this place. He's called me to these circumstances. God, what is it that you want? What is it that you're planning on doing? Because I'm, I'm responding to your call in my life. It's not about my circumstances, it's not about my preferences, it's not about any of those things, but it's about who you are, it's about your calling in my life. And you've called me to this place. Now what are you gonna do? What do you want me to do? And and Jeremiah gives us the answer to this in a pretty profound way. He says, look, here's what I want you to do in Babylon. I want you to build houses and live in them and I want you to plant gardens and and eat their produce. And isn't this kind of interesting because if you think about this, right? He says, build your house and and plant your gardens and eat the produce. And and, you know, there's something that when you plant, your vegetables and your, and your fruit and all of those kinds of things, the things that you're going to eat and live on, you're probably also going to pray for rain, right? And you're going to say, God, rain. But you know what you're not going to pray? Is you're not going to say, Lord, okay, I've got this little patch of vegetables here. Would you just rain on that? But would you not rain on those Babylonian guys, the bad guys? Would you kind of keep them? It's a scorched earth policy for them. Would you kind of leave them out? But just rain, if you could just rain right here, But here's what God's saying, then that's not how I work. That's not what I'm doing. But when I bring rain, it's going to rain. And it's going to rain on the Babylonians and the Jews. It's going to rain on everybody that I'm going to bless the Babylonians because you're here. And I'm going to lift up my name and I'm going to allow people to see me because you're here. It's not about you getting out. It's not about your circumstances. It's not about you, but it's about my blessing. And when my people are someplace, then who I am rubs off and it flows around them and it blesses people in the general vicinity because you're my people and you build your houses and you plant your crops and it's going to not only bless you, but it's going to bless the people around you because that's what I plan and then he says seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you where I've called you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare and you will find your welfare now this word welfare is really fascinating in the Old Testament it's actually the Hebrew word shalom most of the time you think of shalom means peace It's an integrated wholeness that God offers. It's a wholeness of mind, body, soul, and strength, that all of those together, that God says, I'm gonna give you a wholeness in your life. Uh, I'm I'm gonna give you a purpose in your life. I'm gonna bless you in, in a way that the world can't give and the world can't take away. I'm gonna give you a wholeness that belongs to you that comes from me. And he says, I want you to pray for the welfare of the city. I want you to pray that they will experience my shalom." And when they experience my shalom, you will experience my shalom. But bless them and pray for them. That It's about the place that God is saying, look, you have been placed in a key spot, in a spot where people don't know me, in a spot that is dark, in a, in a spot that is brutal. And I want you to pray my blessing on them. I want them to see something that's bigger than they can imagine. I want them to see something that's more important than they've ever dreamed. I want them to see me in the middle of this chaos. I want them to see me in, in the middle of their idol worship and their wickedness and all of those things, I want them to experience my blessing and to know that it came from me. That look, when the people of God showed up, when the people of God moved into our neighborhood, something changed and I need to know what that is. Something happened in our community, something happened in our neighborhood and I need to figure out what it is. It's the blessing of God and people will see it and people will notice it. And that's what Jeremiah is calling them to. He's saying, look, don't pray pray for plan A, say, God, I know that what I'm experiencing right now is your calling in my life. It's your purpose in my life. And I want to live in the moment. And and I want to see your blessing in the middle of my circumstances. It, It changes everything for us. That suddenly it's not about me and it's not about my comfort and my security and my success and all those kinds of things. But suddenly it's about what God is doing in the world. It's about what God has planned. It's about God's purposes. It's about him and how he's called me into something that's greater and ultimately more fulfilling and more powerful than anything I could experience on my own. And that's what God is calling the Jews to. And I believe we'll see that that's what God calls us to. He calls us to it. Verse 10 says this, For thus saith the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will uh, fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So I'm gonna stop there and just in in chapters 27 and 28, there are some other uh, prophets and diviners that have been exiled to Babylon and they uh, they have had that choice of do we assimilate or do we separate and they make their choice and in the middle of that they're trying to get along they're trying to please people so they they tell the Jews that are in Babylon they say don't worry about Nebuchadnezzar don't worry about any of this because in two years uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be overthrown and you're going to get to go back to Jerusalem and, and everything's going to be the way it, it, it used to be and, and we're all all going to be okay, and the prophet Jeremiah says, "Don't listen to them. They're lying. They just want to tell you what they think you want to hear. They're just trying to please you, but they're not telling the truth." Have you ever experienced that—that that somebody would tell you something that's not true just to, so you make you happy, just so you're not mad at them? Maybe you've done that sometime in your life. You've said something to somebody just so that you wouldn't be in trouble, or just so that they you would could make them feel better, or, or, or make them happy, but you knew it wasn't true. Well, that's what they were doing, and, and Jeremiah calls them out, because Jeremiah says, God has spoken, and God has said, we're gonna be here 70 years, and traditionally, 70 years is a generation, and he's saying that we're gonna have a whole generation of people who have come, who have been exiled into Babylon, and they're gonna have children, and they're gonna give their children in marriage, and they're gonna build houses, and they're gonna have an influence that's gonna last for eternity in this city, and yeah, when, when, when the door opens, Some of them are going to go back, but not all of them will go back. There will always be a remnant of those Jews that that were exiled into Babylon, who stay there, who continue to be an influence uh, for God, who continue to allow people to see God in their lives and in their culture and in who they are and, and the power of God. He's going to do that because they're faithful to him, because they remember him. That's what Jeremiah is calling him to. And in verse 11, it's the famous verse that most people have heard somewhere along the way. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope so this is God's promise to them God says I know the plans I have for you I know the plans I have for you that's pretty important because I don't know the plans God has for you but God knows the plans that he has I don't even know the plans God has for me all the time. I have to wait and see, God, what are you up to? What are you doing in my life? Do I really trust you? Do I believe in you? Do I believe that you're faithful? Do I believe that you keep your promises? Because right now, I don't know what the future looks like. Right now, I I don't exactly know where all this is heading, but I know you, and I know you're faithful, and I trust you, and you've said you have a plan for my life, that you have a plan in all of this, and and I can rely on your plan. I can trust you with my life. And so, Jer, Jeremiah is telling the folks that God is still in control, that God has a plan. It's for their future. It's for a hope. Don't give up. Don't just say we're stuck. Don't have an attitude that says there's nothing that we can do. Don't try to just assimilate or to separate, but but be fruitful right here because God is up to something. He's promised that. And so then he says in verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. You, declares the lord and i will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where i've driven you declares the lord and i will bring you back to the place from which i sent you into exile the god says i am not finished i am not finished with my people that if you pray if you seek me you'll find me and i'm going to bring you home that sooner or later i'm going to bring you home back to the place that I sent you from. Uh, And that's sort of an interesting picture. I'm, I'm gonna bring you back home. Plan B lives are so interesting to me. I was reading an article this week uh, about Corrie Ten Boom. Everybody's heard of, a lot of, most of you have heard of Corrie Ten Boom, right? She was famous. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. Um, she was in a concentration camp during World War II and, and she survived it and went on to have this great ministry and writing. Her family were Christians and they would uh, hide uh, Jewish people in Nazi Germany uh, from the Nazis uh, and help them escape. Uh, so that they wouldn't be sent to a concentration camp. They were caught, and, and then they were sent uh, to a camp, and, and it's just unbelievable uh, horror. Uh, last May, I had an opportunity to visit Auschwitz, and, 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 it, and it was just, it was worse than I could imagine. It was more tragic, uh, more hateful, uh, more inhumane than, than I'd even dreamed. And I won't go into details this morning, but it's just, it's clearly, it's plan Z. It doesn't even rate Plan B. It's, it's the worst thing that you can imagine. And Corey Ten Boom, because of her faith in Christ, because of the faith of her family, she's sent to this place. She's in a concentration camp and she's in a barracks with her sister, Betsy. And this barracks, it was brutal. It, it was overcrowded. There wasn't enough food. I mean, it was just a horrific, horrific place. And the barracks was flea infested just to make it more miserable, just to make it worse. And uh, her sister Betsy reminded her one day that, that they had been raised to give thanks for everything, give thanks for all things. So Betsy said, we need to give thanks for the fleas in our barracks. And Cory Tenboom just refused. She said, "I've had enough. I'm not doing it." And her sister was relentless, and she kept hammering her. No, God's called us. My, we've, this is our whole lives, we give thanks to the Lord for everything. So finally, Cory Tenboom relents, and they begin to give the Lord thanks for the fleas in their barracks. When she's finally released from the concentration camp, she finds something out. The whole time in the concentration camp they've had total freedom in their barracks. They've been able to have Bible studies, they've been able to pray together to encourage each other, that no soldiers ever came in and bothered them, uh, that once they went into their barracks, they had total freedom uh, to to pray, to worship, uh, to have Bible studies together, all of those things. And when she was finally released from the concentration camp, she found out that the soldiers refused to enter into her barracks because of the fleece. They wouldn't go in there. This flea-infested place was—that was just too much for them, and they refused to go in. And what God did, giving thanks for the fleas, was gave them that freedom to worship, to encourage each other, to support each other, to walk that together. And, and you know, in 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 our lives, whether it's uh, you know, stock market or whether it's you know, values that you feel like are declining uh, in the culture, uh, or we're facing physical or emotional challenges, um, th- there, there can be a, a little doubt uh, that, uh, that creeps into our lives and it gets really hard to thank the Lord. It, it, gets, it gets hard to be thankful about what God is doing and yet we have these reminders, these constant reminders to be gr- grateful to God, because he's always up to something bigger. He's always up to something greater. You know, Jesus in the Old Testament often speaks about homelessness, his homelessness, and his his exile. He says in the Gospel of Matthew that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then the cross. The cross is a picture of the ultimate exile. That Jesus went to the cross, he was exiled from his glory in heaven, he was exiled from his father, and he did all of that so that we could find home. You see, home for us isn't a place, but it's a relationship. It's being back in a relationship with God, with our heavenly father. And Jesus experienced the exile of our sin, the exile of the cross so that we could find home. And Jesus then said, you're a city on a hill that he said you're the light of the world and you're a city on a hill and that we live in a world that's filled with darkness we live in a world that's desperately searching for something for for real meaning for something that really matters and Jesus says here's home for you to collectively you're a city you're a place that you're a beacon, that you're a light, that people who are lost can find me, that people who are struggling can know where to go, that there's a place. And and this is what the Israelites found out. This is what the Jews found out in Babylon, that when they trusted God, when they lived for God, that God's blessing overflowed from their lives into the lives of others. And what Jesus reminds us, he says, you're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that I have placed you as a beacon in a dark world that people can see my light and they can be drawn to me through your life through my blessing, through the, through the shalom in your life can draw other people to hope, to life, to Christ, to experience his shalom. You know, the vision of North begins with love God, love one another, and love the world. And we're so committed to that, we're so committed to this idea that, that first and foremost, we, we wanna love God, that we wanna be all in for God, that, that we wanna give our lives to Him, that we wanna trust Him with every part of our lives, and so we say that the very first part of our vision is to love God, and, and that is a decision that we make every day. Now, this sermon, this time of year, <coughs> I always have to add this little part that next week is our wedding anniversary. And this year, we're going to celebrate, next Thursday, 43 years of marriage. How about that, right? 43 years, yeah. Now, I share this every year, and then I try to throw in, you know, and we were 12, and we got married, and nobody ever believes me, and they just say, Larry, stop it. Um, But, so that's not, (laughs) we didn't. Um, Surprise. But here's something that I tell young couples all the time, that uh, Jen and I, haven't woken up every morning for 43 years mm-hmm. saying, "Woohoo, we're in love. <laughs> Sorry to burst your bubble. We haven't done that. But here's every morning for 43 years, we've woken up saying, we choose to love each other. That we're choosing today to care for each other. That we're choosing to put the other person first. That we're choosing to consider th- her needs before my needs. That every day that we make the choice to love each other, that we try to live out that love, that it's not based on emotion, because emotions are fickle, but it's based on a promise that we made to each other. It's an act of the will that we choose love. And what we talk about in North, when we talk about to love God, we're saying every morning when we get up, every morning when we wake up, we say, Lord, I'm gonna choose to love you today. I'm gonna live that love out in every way that I possibly can. And Jesus says the first way that you can live that out is by loving each other, by loving one another. If, you, if it's not an, it's an act of the will, it's not an emotion, and I want you to love me by loving other people. I want you to put them first. I want you to think of their needs. I want you to lift them up. I want you to live that kind of life. I want you to bless other people, and then you will experience my blessing. That's what that love looks like. That's how we want to live, and so we believe we love God, and we love one another, and we just figure out how to do that together we do it as a congregation, we do it through our shepherd's fund, we, we do it through our trips, we do it through all kinds of small groups, our community groups. In every way that we possibly can, we want to figure out how to love one another. And, and again, we talk about this so often that the, that the way that we do that, what that looks like is the model of Jesus. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. So the model that we have for how we love God and love one another is that we wanna love one another as Christ loved us. And so what that teaches us about love is that love always includes sacrifice. Love always includes sacrifice. Real love isn't about me getting what I want, isn't about me being pleased, isn't about me feeling better, but real love says, How do I love my wife today? How do I love other people today the way Christ did? And that always involves sacrifice. That always involves putting somebody else's needs in front of mine. That's what real, authentic love looks like. And we wanna love God, and we wanna love one another as Christ has loved the church. And then we wanna love the world and we talk about loving the world in all kinds of ways, but but that just means that we wanna go and dig a well for a village that's never had fresh water, and we wanna do it in the name of Jesus. That, that we want to see soccer teams in India flourish and we want to do it in the name of Jesus, that, that we want to see churches planted in, your, in in India and we want to do that in the name of Jesus, that we want to buy shoes for orphans at the Sambetti Orphanage in Tanzania and we want to do it in the name of Jesus, not for our sakes, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of the kingdom, that we want to love the world because Jesus loves the world, that God sent his only son because he so loved the world and he says, now I want you to live that way. I want you to give yourself away. It's not about plan A or plan B. It's about what God is up to. It's how we live out a Jesus life, how he's going to live through us and shine through us and how he blesses the world through our lives together as a community of followers of Jesus. That's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. So the vision of North is to love God, to love one another, and love the world. And we want to be known for our love. We want to outlove the competition. We want to love more than the world loves. We want people to see the love of Jesus, the love that he's shown us. And we want to live that love out for others. And here's, Jesus tells us a little bit of what it looks like in verse In in Acts, the first chapter, verses six through eight, it says this, and and so they um, they had come together, and this is just before Jesus ascended into heaven. It says they had come together, and they asked him, Lord, will you uh, at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They're asking the same old question. They're still trying to figure this out. Okay, Lord, we see all of that. We've seen the cross. Now we've seen the resurrection. Everything has happened. And now we want to know, is this the time that you're going to establish your kingdom here? Is this the time that you're going to establish your throne and you're going to throw out the Romans and you're going to set up your kingdom and all of this is going to work out now because you've. this is your plan. This is what you're finally going to do. It. They're still thinking about location. They're still thinking about a place. They're still thinking with their own eyes. They're not thinking about what God is up to. They're not thinking about, God, what is your plan? What is your purpose in the world? And here's what Jesus says to him. He says first in verse seven, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. You don't know when he's gonna respond to all that. You don't know when the end is gonna come. You don't know when the final uh, act is gonna come in God's great story. But here's what he says you do know. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's what he says. You're going to be my witness. You're going to be eyewitnesses to my love. You're going to be eyewitnesses to my power. And you're going to be eyewitnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And, and this is how this plays out. He says, here's, here's Jerusalem. It's where you live. And you're going to be my witnesses. And, and, and we kind of think, okay, I, I, I can do that. I, I can have Taco Tuesday for my neighbor's um, you know, I, I can meet people. Uh, I can do little things and and get to know folks. I can be a greeter at my church. I can do what you know. I can I can do so. I can do Jerusalem. That's okay. That kind of fits. That's my neighborhood. That, that's my place. All right. And he says, and then Judea. I want you to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in Judea. That's your whole country. And and you're thinking, well, okay. Now I got to pack up the borough and I got to really think about how to get around a little bit and what that's going to cost me and 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 what that's going to feel like. But okay, I can I can I can get my arms around that and begin to think about it and then Jesus says something to him it's like a slap in the face he says you're going to be my witnesses in in Jerusalem and Judea and then Samaria and they hated Samaritans the Jews thought the Samaritans were half-breeds. They they went to war with them. They couldn't stand them. They didn't allow them to worship with them. Uh, They wouldn't have anything to do with Samaritans. And here is Jesus saying, you're going to be my witnesses if you really want to be in my plan. If you really will fulfill my purpose, you're going to find yourself places that you never thought you would go. In fact, you're going to find yourself places that you said you would never go, that you would never set foot in Samaria. And I'm telling you, you're going to be my witnesses there in places that you never thought you'd go in circumstances that you never thought you would be and you're going to be my witness because it's not about you but it's about my spirit filling you and flowing through you it's about me not about you and you're going to be my witness and then he said and to the end of the earth everywhere Everywhere you go, everywhere you find yourself, everywhere you can possibly be. You, you know, I, did a, uh, I, I was looking last week at, at where the church around the world is growing the fastest, and, and every top 10 of where the church is growing the fastest in the world, there's one little country that fits in every time. Mongolia is in every top 10 list of where the church is growing the fastest. And you know why it caught my breath was because uh, some years ago um, I took a group of, of uh, people and, and we went to Mongolia and we did the first camp in the history of Mongolia outreach camp for kids, for high school age kids. And we did this outreach camp in Mongolia uh, for Young Life with this little team that we took. And and it was fun and hysterical and holy. And at the end of that camp, there were 120 kids, 117 of them stood up to say they wanted to be followers of Jesus. And now every list that I look at where the church is growing the fastest has this little country that's kind of nestled in between Russia and China that God is at work, that it's a little country that's been overrun by everybody. It's it's part of China sometimes, it's part of Russia sometimes, it's independent, and they, they just keep knocking it around. But God is doing something special because God has said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when I got to Mongolia, I thought I was at the end of the earth. They told us don't fly on the Mongolia Airlines because they don't all have, all the seats don't have seat belts. Find a different airlines. It's a little bit backwards. It's, it's not quite up to date. But, the, but God was there. God had called us there because God had a bigger plan than we could ever imagine. He had a bigger plan than, than we could ever dream. So, you know, it's okay. It's okay if you wanna move. Um, It's okay if you want a different job. But while you're here, but while you're in this place, build your homes, plant your seeds, raise your children, pray for the shalom of the city. Pray for the shalom of those around you. And as God blesses them, you'll experience his shalom in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word and thank you for the truth of Jeremiah and the challenge that he provides for us. Lord, thank you for how you always speak to us through your word and how you bless us. Lord, um, I just simply ask this morning that you would, that you would touch our hearts and our minds uh, that where we need to be challenged, Lord, that you would challenge us, that where, where we need to be encouraged and strengthened, uh, Lord, that you would encourage us and strengthen us, uh, Lord, I, I, I pray that, that your word would go forth in our lives, uh, Lord, that we might seek your plans uh, before ours, that, that we might look at your vision, um, Lord, before ours, and Lord, that we uh, would seek the welfare, we would seek the shalom, not in, just in our family and in our in our general friends and community, Lord, but for the city and for the world. And Lord, we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor.
1: As always, if you'd like prayer this morning, we'll have prayer partners uh, um, in the corner there in our prayer table in the back that you write your prayer requests. And yes, we do still pray on holidays. So I just want you to know that, all right? So we'll pray for those requests. That's one of the great privileges that we have. Um, and, uh, and here's my, my prayer it is just simply that God will shift how we think about him um, away from what's plan A, what's plan B, and, and so on. And he will give us eyes to see that where he's up to something. Uh, where God is doing something that, that maybe we don't see yet, maybe we don't understand yet, but we trust him. We don't always know where we're going, right? But we know who we're following. And, uh, and that's what really matters. So that, that's my prayer uh, for us. I hope you have a great uh, rest of your week. I pray that you have a wonderful New Year's. God bless you. I love you guys. Thank you.